0: You know, we get so stuck in our habits, and our habits become our results in life. So if we can go back to our habits and change those, which requires changes in belief and the way that we see ourselves and the choices that we make, you know, life completely changes when we do that.
1: Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul talks with Sean Croxton, the host of the number one daily motivational podcast, The Quote of the Day Show. Sean is the former host of Underground Wellness Radio and the creator of several of the most watched online summit events, including the Digestion Sessions and the Thyroid Sessions. Sean Croxton, lovely to be with
0: you, buddy. Likewise, my man. I love you. Yeah, I love you as well. The the tables are turned a little bit here. I was just going (laughs) to say, you know,
1: it's so funny for me to have you here and me interviewing you because... Over the years, when we've done stuff together, yeah. I had no idea that one day I would be interviewing you. Nor did I. It's Nor really did wild. I.
0: Yeah. When you guys reached out to do this, I was like, wow, tables are turn. Paul's going to interview me. Like, yeah. What's that going to be like?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it'll be fun. Absolutely. Um, Look, your career has been pretty interesting to watch. I mean, you did HLC1. You didn't do HLC2, did you? Did not, no. And so- I'm looking at you, you know, of course, I'm looking at you as Paul Check, the guy who teaches people, and you're one of my students. And then next thing I you know, you had underground wellness, which I was on multiple times and loved it. But I watched you go from HLC1 and embrace these concepts. And the next thing you know, you're helping countless thousands of people on your radio show. And then it's just going and going and going and up. And you've worked as a consultant to various people. Is it am I right? You helped Elliot Hulse, Hulse lot, launch himself. No, I never helped Elliot launch himself.
0: Okay, Elliot is just a, was just a friend. Uh-huh. Um, Elliot actually taught. There's a guy named Alex yeah. who taught me a lot about internet marketing. Okay, and he learned from Elliot Hulse. Oh, okay. So when I think about Elliot, it's like my grandfather in the internet
1: marketing. Oh, okay, space, okay. Right? Somehow yeah. someone conveyed the story to me wrong, but. The point that I'm making, though, is that you have helped a lot of people grow in a lot of ways.
0: Yes, with their health, with their business, with their mindsets as yeah. well. Yeah, it's it's been a definitely fulfilling journey, a long journey.
1: Yeah, I'm, I was just saying to you when we met at the door, it's like wild for me because, you know, you were like, I think you said 28 when you started taking teachings from me. And how old are you now? 41. 41, yes. right? So I was telling you that, It's interesting for me as a 57 year old now, because I see people like JP Sears who came to me as a 19 year old. And now he's like world famous and married and probably will have kids soon. And I've had many of my students that came to me as teenagers and 20 year olds. And now they're married and have businesses and have Uh multiple kids. And some of these kids have listened to my videos and audios and come and want to meet me and get my autograph and things like that. So it's, it's been quite a uh, a journey, and and yeah. one of the things I was hoping you could share. I took a minute this morning just to sort of see what you were up to and look at your current site, and I saw your Underground Wellness page where you said, you know, I've moved. This is I got this new site, and and I really enjoyed your Underground Wellness radio show. I mean, Thank it was you. it was a great opportunity for me to share my knowledge with loads of people on your radio show. And in fact, that triggers me a memory. Do you remember when I was on your show and the guy asked me, how do you love yourself? I don't recall. No. Well, let me tell you, that's what happened. One of the guys came on and he said, I'm really having a hard time loving myself. And he sort of, it was a bit sad, you know, and he He basically asked me, how do I love myself? So I went into a soul-driven expression of why and how to love yourself, and somebody captured that off of your radio show, turned it into a YouTube video, and put imagery to it, and it's got lots of hits. And we now play that in our Holistic Lifestyle Coach courses, and people, men and women, cry their eyes out really, every huh? time they hear that. I'm going to have to look for that. Oh, we'll get you the link to that. Yeah, please. Uh, it'll blow your mind, man. And and so, you know, whenever I hear that, of course, I think of, God, you know, like, how many people's lives did Sean touch with his radio show? And I'm only one of an infant number of guests he had on there. But it was, it's just, it's You know, I listen to it myself, and it moves me. It's like almost like I was in a trance when I was answering this guy's question. Mm -hmm. You know, because I do connect to spirit and go that way. But to listen to it again, but it just brought up this deep emotion in me, and just made me every time I hear it. I think, man, Sean has really done a great service for the world. You Mm -hmm. know, and so tell. Tell everybody a little bit about that journey that you've taken from HLC one to where you are now, and and what's inspiring you to breathe and live and love every day. You know, my thing, Paul, is
0: I just want to help people. That's always been my thing. You yeah. know, I was just I'm always been about I've always been about service. Yeah, because it feels good. Mm-hmm. It feels good to give. It feels good to give people. The knowledge and the education, the the power to be able to change their lives. Mm -hmm. You know, and for me, it started in the health space. Yeah, I was a personal trainer for about a good seven years or so, Mm -hmm. and I started to learn that most of what I had learned in, you know, my college courses was completely wrong. Yeah, And then I stumbled upon you and Dr. Mercola Mm -hmm. and um, probably uh, Dr. Lauren Cordain as well. And began to see like the other side of health. And why things weren't working the way that they were supposed to work. And that led me to YouTube. And I remember seeing your stuff on YouTube back then. I think it was like me and you and Kevin Gianni and maybe Dr. McCullough were some of the first ones on YouTube actually making videos and getting the information out there. Yeah. And I became fascinated with your work, took HLC1. Yeah. And I remember going back home after HLC1 and that the YouTube channel was was growing yeah. then. And I remember going back home and making videos about what I had learned in your HLC course. Oh, cool. Right? But here's the thing somebody who was in that class with yeah. us sent me an email and he was pissed off about the fact that we had actually paid good money to learn that information. And he didn't like the fact that I was giving it away for free oh, on yeah. the internet. Yeah. And, and, Understandable, but at the same time, I think that when you learn something that can really help people. Yeah. And now that we have these really cool platforms like YouTube and like podcast and, and blog posts and whatnot, I think that's it's our duty to share it with people, to share it with others.
1: Yeah, it is. And you can't really give away a comprehensive three day course and a right. few YouTube clips. Exactly. And but that's you know, that's the territorialism of the ego. But while you were talking there, you probably saw me point to Penny. Lauren Cordain was Penny's professor when she got her I think exercise and sports yeah, science I I master's yeah. degree. So mm-hmm. she spent a couple of years working with him, right? Two two years, right? And um, yeah, and I I read uh, several of his articles. But speaking of Lauren Cordain, his article, Grains, Humanity's Double-Edged Sword. Did you ever read that one? Did not, no. That's a badass piece of work. Mm-hmm. And uh, it goes very into what gluten intolerance is and shows something very interesting that few people know, and that is that uh, if you look at the genetic sequence of the synovial lining of joints, it's very similar to gluten itself. Right. And he showed that our immune systems, when we get overstimulated by eating gluten, actually starts to attack our own joint tissue because it thinks it's gluten. and Uh, Of the countless number of people that came to me with arthritic problems, I told them, you've got to get gluten out of your diet because your body is attacking your joints thinking it's gluten. And I've never had a single arthritic patient that did not have noticeable improvements Mm. by taking gluten out of their diets, which came from me reading Cordain's. It's a very comprehensive article. It's really like about a chapter in a book. But you just triggered me to think about that. I'm not really trying to talk about did gluten you, intolerance. Did you write about that and how to eat, eat move, and be healthy? I probably I, did. Yeah,
0: yeah. Something uh, in there is like, yeah, I remember yeah. That, re- reading about that. Yeah, I did
1: yeah. a lot of research to write that book. Mm-hmm. But um, so you, you, your inspiration is to help people share the wisdom that obviously you could see was logical and practical. Absolutely. And so that led to Underground Wellness. Then you started doing things like promoting different courses and then I remember we did a project together for the parasite program and yeah. so we did a couple videos and well, the, the, the way that it started is I wanted to be the expert.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I read a lot of books. I'm kind of a nerd we've been talking about books you know yeah. most of the time we I've I've been here and I feel like it's just a little bit un it's a little bit selfish for me to keep the information to myself.
1: Well there's a and, thing
0: called the weight of knowledge. It's real. Right. And the thing about it is like I feel like I have a way about me that allows me to take very complicated information and break it down in a way that everybody can understand. Yeah. In an educating way, but also in an entertaining way at the same time. That's so people important. Can, can smile and enjoy themselves and share it with friends and whatnot and give them some energy and, and some, some enthusiasm when I'm speaking to them, right? Yeah. And that was my thing. And so I did underground wellness for a few years, positioning myself as the expert. And at some point, I decided to make a shift. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, I'm this guy sitting in his bedroom with his Yankees hat on to the side, you know, talk about these really complicated matters of health. And what I wanted to do to bring more credibility to the message was actually start to interview the people whose books I had been reading. Right. And I started Underground Wellness Radio, and I didn't even know that that was going to be a, a big deal. People weren't doing podcasts back in 2008. like no. Nobody really knew what a podcast was, well, no. right? Somebody interviewed me on Blog Talk Radio, maybe about six months before I actually started the show. And I was like, what? I can have a radio show for free online and people will listen to it? Absolutely. Mm. And so I started Underground Wellness Radio. And what I loved about that format, and there's not a lot of people who do that today or do what I did today, is you can call into the show as a listener and actually speak to the guest who I was interviewing. And there are people out there who are looking for the help that they need and they just haven't been able to get it, but they can call in and talk to Paul Check. So it gave um, just an interaction and engagement that they weren't getting anywhere else. Yeah. So I did that show featuring other people's work, selling their books for them, you know, helping them spread their message for seven years. Actually, I, I stopped that show seven years to the day of starting that show
1: that's wild that's a yeah. chakra cycle
0: yeah yeah november 10th 2008 is when i started november 10th 2015 is when i ended it i ended it with the exact same guest Reed davis was wow my first and my second guest and he was my last guest as well and <laughs> that's wild. it was a good time man i had yeah. a blast with it um learned a lot of stuff made a lot of connections uh and as you said Sold a lot of affiliate products at the yeah. same time because everybody kind of had their own course, mm-hmm. and so I was able to make a good income through that as well. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, at some point, I just wasn't in love with it the way that I was before.
1: Yeah, it's an archetypal yeah. transition.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it was seven years too. Seven years. It just, it just wasn't. I didn't have a love for it anymore.
1: Well, that's that's the soul saying. You've mastered this, and now yeah. it's time for you to find ways that are more fulfilling for you at this stage of your own development. Yeah. And clearly, you have done that. So, mm-hmm. what did you transition into? Personal development. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I found that some of my favorite
0: episodes toward the end of Underground Wellness were the ones on personal growth and, and personal development. Right. I felt like a lot of the health stuff was repetitive mm-hmm. and at the it same is. time I felt like I was complicating it to a certain extent or actually confusing the listener mm. because they might have a certain symptom yeah. and you know 3 weeks ago they thought that they had a vitamin D deficiency right and then the next week they thought they had a gluten allergy and then right. the next week they felt like they had something else and so I was I, I knew I was doing good But at the same time, I was wondering how much good am I doing? Am I creating a bunch of hypochondriacs out there? Right. You know what I'm saying? And and some of the stuff got, to be honest, a a little bit silly for me, Mm -hmm. where I was like, yo, we're giving people so many recommendations. It is impossible for them to follow all of them. Yeah, Yeah, if they're a total health junkie, you know, like I used to be and kind of still am. I can find time for that. Mm-hmm. I can make time for that. I can get motivated to do that. But you know, somebody like my mom is just going to listen to that information and be like, "I don't even know where to start." Right. And so I wanted to move away because one thing that I noticed with my health coaching clients, you may may find this as well, is the ones who have the best attitudes, the ones who have the best mindsets, the ones who actually believe that they're going to heal are the ones who actually heal. Yeah. And I feel like that mindset aspect of health is mm-hmm. something that's missing a lot in the health space. It's just
1: supplements and it's just, you know, change your diet. Yeah, but no, not it, enough. it's missing and it's, you know, it. part of the challenge with that is that our culture considers that psychology. Exactly. And in our culture, to speak to somebody about a challenge with your mind means there's something wrong with you. And it's not the kind of wrong with you, like I can't poop or my back hurts. It's the kind of, wrong with you that leaves the ego thinking or or uh, worried that it might be crazy or losing their mind. So um, we've had this kind of historical uh, stigma. It's fine to go to a doctor because something hurts, but if you have to go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, you don't want anybody to know about that because, you know, what if you're a school teacher or a pilot or a soldier, you know, that means you might lose your job. And if other people find out, then they kind of like, this guy's losing his mind. So it's it's an interesting paradigm. And, you know, HLC2, we go into a lot about mental, emotional self-management and coaching strategies and tactics. And that's the toughest part for all doctors and therapists and Czech professionals is, It's not having the knowledge to guide people to the foundation principles or the four doctors. It's being able to effectively do what I call selling health. People need to be sold health, but I developed the system that I did because I found that if you didn't find something that they clearly wanted to live for that was bigger than the challenges they had or the habits that they had, then you did not have any way of inspiring that person to take action. And all the action items were just perceived as more things to do when yes. they already feel overwhelmed with things mm-hmm. to do. So I teach my students that, look, you, the first thing you have to do is identify something that they love enough to change for, or you will just be talking to a blank wall. Mm-hmm. You, you, you might as well be talking to a mannequin. Mm-hmm. You can give them the best advice in the world, and you'll be get your... Mind bent when they keep coming back saying I haven't taken the sugar out of my diet, I haven't taken the gluten out, I haven't gotten to bed earlier, dot dot dot. Mm -hmm. And so, for me, it's because I've been doing this, as you know, a very long time, and I've been through this rodeo a thousand times. So I really found you have to identify a dream for somebody or a goal or an objective that's truly of their own desire. If if they, for example, want to lose weight to make their husband happy, that doesn't last. There's no shelf life on that. And the ego resists any of those types of points of leverage. A good example is I've worked with many flight attendants because they were carrying too much weight. You know, they used to have quite strict weight regulations for flight attendants. So they'd come in and they would never stick to the program because they weren't really doing it for themselves. The reason a lot of these people were overweight is because they were jet lagged, chronically jet lagged, tired. and then trying to pick their energy up with sugar and coffee and tea. And eventually, you know, they burn their adrenals out, you know, the whole story from there. But in reality, if I couldn't get a flight attendant to find a reason she wanted to look and feel better for herself, as an example, a flight attendant here being a model of almost anybody, then they wouldn't stick to the program, Mm -hmm. no matter how good it was and no matter how much they paid for it. So I always... Would investigate, okay. So you got sent here by United Airlines, but now that you're here, what would you like to do? And do you want to be leaner? And why? You got to find that intrinsic motivation. You got to find that. Yeah. If you don't find something that their heart locks onto, then you're really just another person telling them things that they have to do and telling them what's wrong with them, which usually. Isn't that inspiring for Mm -hmm.
0: people? And I felt like as a health coach, and this something I I coach a lot of um, coaches on is the overwhelm side of it. Yeah, people they don't have enough space in their lives for all of the recommendation. Yeah, you know, I remember back in the day. I remember my first client that I had. I gave her a supplement program that was eight hundred ninety five dollars. That was about seven or eight different bottles of things, maybe more. It's like here you go. Take all of this stuff. And you'll be better. Yeah. yeah. And then at the same time, it's like, I need you to eat this way as well. I yeah. need you to, to go buy this cookbook and start making these particular recipes. But people, they just don't have the time for it. Or the energy. Yeah. And we're just overwhelming them. And I, th- I felt like we were just making people worse to a certain extent. Yeah. The people who had the time and the people who had the mindset, they were the ones who did it. Everybody else, they didn't. So I felt like as a coach or as coaches now- we have to learn how to adapt to the lifestyle of that particular client. And if we don't, they're not going to get the result that they should get.
1: That's why I developed the five program design factors. HLC2 and then HLC3 are taught on a 10-step model. Mm-hmm. What do you, one, what, is you, what do you love enough to change for? Two, where are you out of balance relative to the four doctors? Three, There's only three choices you can make in relationship to person, place, or thing. The optimal, the one that's best for you and everybody involved, the suboptimal, which usually gives instant gratification but causes problems somewhere, and then to do nothing. And there's derivations I won't go into now because it's not really the point, but four, four doctors, five program design factors. So what I did to address that with my students so they didn't make that mistake is say you must identify how much time the person can genuinely commit mm-hmm. without it being a burden that they're going to avoid. How much energy do they actually have? And with the assessment techniques I teach in HLC2 and higher courses, they can accurately assess that quite well. What is your willingness to make these changes? And I learned that from um, my mom and her husband, Alex, Sensor are. Instructors for Marshall Rosenberg and his his nonviolent communication organization. And my mother would explain to me, for example, she would say, sometimes Alex asked me if I would be, if I would do the dishes. And I would say my willingness factor is quite low right now. It's about a three out of ten. But after we go for a walk and I have some time for myself, my willingness meter might rise up to a seven. And when my mom shared that with me, because she used to teach nonviolent communication classes for check level fours in their level four training, I went, that's part of that. I have to add that to my criteria for designing a program, because if you don't get a clear read on a person's willingness... Well, one, you don't know if they're willing or not. Two, if my mom taught me, if it's not at least a 7 out of 10, it's not a legitimate thing that they want to do, and therefore the dream is ineffective. So I tied that to qualifying a person's dream, right? So so how willing are you to be this person? If it's less than a 7, it means it's really just an idea they're flirting with, or Mm -hmm. they're in the precognitive stage of change, Mm -hmm. not really doing it. So we have time, energy, willingness, financial ability. Yes. And many people are given programs and lists of supplements and functional. You can rack up a $1,500 bill of functional medicine testing in one session. <laughs> like you just refer someone to Reed Davis or Cliff Oliver or any Dr. Kalish or or even a lot of Czech pra- practitioners do functional medicine themselves. I trained with Bill Timmons for three years and used to do all this stuff myself. But you can blow a person's finances right out and then you're creating more stress, stress. than they came yes. in with. yes. And then resource availability, right? If you give someone a gym exercise program and you tell them they need kettlebells, but they don't have any, and they go home with a new program and they go, okay, I need to buy a Swiss ball, I need to buy kettlebells, oh, he's got cable machine exercise, you're not looking at what resources are available. Mm -hmm. So what I do and what I teach Czech professionals because of that exact issue is I say you have to identify how much time do they have, how much willingness do they have, how much finances do they have uh how much time energy willingness finances and resources and then i say you got to remember the two times three times rule the two times rule says it always takes twice as long as you think it's going to do to get done and it costs three times as much as you expect so i tell my students if you say that this per- if this person says to you they've got an hour a day to do their exercise program they really only have half an hour Mm -hmm. because the two times rule says what you think is an hour program is going to take them two hours. And if they say they've got an hour, usually they're trying to please the therapist, start with a half an hour because they can always come back and ask you for more. But if they can't do it, They usually feel insecure about coming back because they paid you, and now they're kind of like having to go back to their daddy figure and say, I didn't do the program, and nobody's excited about doing that.
0: But what about the financial side? What if they just can't afford
1: it? Well, what I tell people to do is that it's our personal responsibility to evaluate what's going on. And then when they like, many people have come to me and said, "Okay, Paul, I only have three thousand five hundred dollars to my name, and I need you to help me figure this out." Well, three thousand five hundred dollars an hour, uh, three thousand five hundred dollars with me is nothing. I mean, I charge seven fifty an hour, so um, I can burn through that in one day. Um, so what I do is I find that out up front. Now I qualify people coming in, but as a therapist, you know, people would come to me from everywhere, as you can imagine. And so if someone says I only have 3500 bucks, once I finish the analysis, I then cry, uh, prioritize. So if I find uh, dental problems that are maybe rotten teeth or abscesses in their mouth that are poisoning their body, That's a very important thing to get cleared out right away. Or if they have mercury amalgam fillings or they have dissimilar metals in their mouth, it sets up electrolysis and causes all sorts of problems. So then they might also have an atlas subluxation and they might have a dysbiosis, dot, dot, dot. So what I do with my skill is I say, okay, with $3,500, the first thing that you need to invest in is this. Once you get this mouth of yours cleaned up, the next thing you do is this. Mm -hmm. And once you got that done, the next thing you do is this. And the best thing that I can do for you is give you this plan, because if you don't do these things, you'll be buying supplements and seeing doctors and deteriorating for the rest of your life. So I make the executive decision that the service I've given them is the direction as to what needs to be done within their budget. And that's the way I handle that. But as you know, a lot of medical and exercise and healthcare professionals don't want to let go of the client. Mm -hmm. They want to milk them for every penny they got. But I teach Czech professionals that that's very, very unethical to do. And love is a boomerang. If you do that, you're going to keep um, drawing that kind of energy into your life. And you will be finding yourself on the short end of house deals and cars and things that you, you everywhere you go you'll be looking at yourself and thinking at somebody else so that's really the system i developed to kind of streamline that program and and over the years i got to the point where i said don't give people any more than four action items and make sure you prioritize them right. and make sure that those four are the common denominators that if they do that number one item it's going to address the most numbers of their problems for example if someone's not getting enough sleep that can be involved in blood sugar handling that can be involved in chronic back pain chronic inflammation and the list is very long so when i look at what's wrong with them i say okay that comes that can be caused or helped by sleep that can be oh there's seven things here that can be helped by sleep so we know sleep's not only very important it's free Mm so so Item number one is get to bed on time, get this number of hours of sleep. And I know that if they can't get that done, they're never going to do the other things anyhow. Right. So start there and we'll build up from there. And I just go one, two, three, four. And uh, <laughs> well, I've been doing this a long time and I've never had a single person come back and tell me they wanted more than four items. They, they just that, That's enough to keep anybody busy because every one of these things is behavioral change.
0: Yeah, behavioral change is not easy. No, it isn't. Yes, we're, it we're, takes effort.
1: It, it takes yeah. not only effort, it takes tremendous awareness and commitment. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's effort, yes, but if a person doesn't have something to inspire that effort, mm-hmm. it's just effort. Well, you're, you're changing a habit. Yeah. Really deeply ingrained habits
0: that, that have been going on for a really long time. Yeah. That's, that's really challenging mm-hmm. for somebody to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it takes a lot of mental energy because those habits become automatic, right? They're, mm-hmm. It's autonomic, meaning. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I tell people, if you want to see what it's like to have a habit, uh, try putting your keys in the ignition with the other hand. Try eating with your opposite hand. And once you stab your lips with your fork about four times, you'll realize you really have to pay attention just to eat with the other hand. And that's actually a technique. When I have people that need to go through a significant change, like if somebody comes to me with cancer, well, I know that they don't have a lot of room left to play around. So sometimes I say the first task I want you to do is change the place you sit at the table every time you eat and eat with your opposite hand and drink with your opposite hand. And I want you to do that for two weeks at least. And if you can't I know if they can't do that, there's no way they're gonna make the transition in the behaviors and the beliefs and the practices that created cancer to being life affirmative. So sometimes that's what I start with. Sean, you you have described your journey as starting off as a personal trainer, taking HLC one, sharing the fruits of that because you know, that that's what I was referring to earlier, the weight of knowledge. When we grow knowledge, it hurts if we don't share it, especially when we look around ourselves. I remember, for example, when I realized that I was gluten intolerant and then cleared that from my diet and saw the radical changes and then looked around and everywhere I go, because I had processed my life through this experience, I saw gluten intolerant people everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then as I worked with them, I became... Uh, an expert on the symptoms of it and i i just was i felt like i just need to stand on top of the tallest building in the middle of every town and say look you're fucked up from eating gluten and Mm -hmm. i can help you and that's the weight of knowledge you know that's a legitimate it's a real experience and and that's how i felt yeah and it just happened
0: to to transpire or go down When YouTube was invented. Yeah. And there was this brand new platform. You can go on there and talk about whatever you want to talk about and get subscribers and be able to actually help people without paying for it. Right. You know, back in the day, you had to pay for TV time, you had to pay for, you know, space in a magazine or whatever it might have been. But I just got opened up to this whole new world of the internet Mm -hmm. and not just to be a consumer of the internet, consuming information, but actually providing information. To others. And so that just led from YouTube to podcasting to writing to products to affiliate products and, you know, to what I do now. So it's, it's been a really cool journey, man. And, and so that's where are you now? I'm in personal development. I'm teaching people how to find the greatness within themselves. Yeah. You know, I got really turned on to Tony Robbins and Bob Proctor yeah, and I saw, Dr. John D. Martinez. Yeah. At some point, I just got turned on to those guys and I actually started to spend more of my time. Reading their works than I was looking at the health books. And I just got, just, just always tell people that you can tell when your interests are changing by looking at your library. Yeah. And back in the day, 99% of my library was health books, nutrition books, exercise yeah. books. And over time, it started to go 50 yeah. 50 personal growth and health. And then at some point, it just personal growth pretty much dominated. You go into my house now. It's mostly personal growth books. Yeah, books about money mindset, books about the brain, books about quantum physics. Like yeah. that's what really lights me up. That's yeah. my passion. As uh, my friend Lisa Nichols says, mm. you know, passions have seasons. Yeah, and, you know, at some point the season has to end. Yeah, and for me the season for health ended not yeah. completely because I still have an interest in it, but at the same time I really really love this personal growth thing. And so go ahead. Well, I was just going
1: to say personal growth is a form of health. Absolutely. I mean, so it's. It's, it's not that you're, in my opinion, it's not that your uh, interest in, in health diminished. It's just that you came to an awareness that if you can't find out what really makes a person tick and why they want to get healthy, then you're, you know, as we've been discussing, you're basically trying to inspire somebody to do something that they don't have a real sense of connection to why they should do it. And I want people to understand that they can. They If, can, if yeah. they
0: choose to do it, that they can do it. And yeah. that they can handle all of the obstacles that that yeah. happen along the way. And I feel like especially in the health realm, you know, a lot of people don't feel like they can do it. They yeah. don't feel like they can do those four or five things that got recommended by the practitioner or whatever, you know, was recommended recommended to them in the diet book. They don't feel like they can do it. I want them to know that anything they want to do, they can do. Yeah. That it is in there and you yeah. just have to access it you have to choose that that's what you want and when you choose it and you visualize it and you just really just just take it on and own it that you can you can do it and that yeah. applies to anything
1: in your life it does and and it's a it's a, it you know in my observation there's two sides to the coin what inspires you to change and yes you can change but the other side of the coin is energy cuz change takes energy so that's where i think the art of Good health coaching is first you've got to find out what inspires them to change, but then you've got to very carefully determine how much energy and willingness they have to do the changes that give them the energy to get out of the rut that they're in. You know, Mm -hmm. most people that by the time they come for health guidance, they're in some kind of a rut. Zig Ziglar says a rut is a grave with both ends kicked out of it. Mm So when you look at the rate of cancer, you look at the rate of uh, gut problems, the rate of, uh, you know, almost every disease, depression, I mean, they're, they're, they're skyrocketing, you know yeah. that as well as anybody. So all of these are an energy crisis. A health crisis is by definition an energy crisis. The body has the wisdom and the power to heal itself, but it has to have the resources to produce the energy, and food is one of those resources, breathing is one of those resources, sleeping is one of those resources, moving is one of those resources, and feeling inspired is one of those resources, but paradoxically, if we don't feel inspired, then we try to nourish our need for whatever it is that we're missing by staying up late and watching things that entertain us on television. Or by eating. Or by eating, Mm -hmm. or by uh, drugging. Right. Right. Uh, alcohol, cigarettes, whatever it is, to to kind of, you know, I call those forms of safe love, right? A cigarette never complains about whether you kiss it well or not, and no bottle of alcohol complains that you didn't drink it well enough. So, a lot of the things that ultimately become part of a person's health challenges are means of uh, ways to find love that doesn't come with some kind of string attached. Well, to
0: let it. me ask you this, and I don't want to. If I, So easily I can turn this into me interviewing that's you okay. because that's can, just my thing, right? We, let's just have fun. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you, do you believe in emotional
1: addiction? Uh, I believe that a person can become habituated to getting emotional fulfillment outside of themselves, which means they're still in the childhood stage of their own psychological development because as children, we need mommy and daddy's support whether it be to to permission to play what to play with or for example my little boy likes gymnastics class but we got to drive him to gymnastics class so it, in our childhood development we learn that we need somebody to support us in order to have that emotional connection and freedom that we want And we also have to have their permission. You know, my little boy loves to poke the cones on my very expensive speakers, and he thinks it's just cool because they bounce back. So he doesn't have my permission to do that, but he loves to do it. And so when I tell him no, he thinks it's a game. So then it becomes me guarding the speakers and him running from speaker to speaker. But what I'm really saying here is that we all have emotional needs but if we don't learn as an adult to take responsibility for meeting those emotional needs then we stay stuck in the trap of needing somebody else's support somebody else's um permission somebody else's uh we become codependent like look how many re- i i work with a lot of people with relationship challenges and one of the things that causes relationship challenges is a husband, for example, might work a lot, which is quite typical, but his wife gets angry at him because he's not there being with her, doing the things that make her happy, yet often doesn't realize he's there at work to make the money to pay for the house and the cars and the schools for their kids and the food. But she assumes that that's always going to happen. It's just inherently part of the relationship. It doesn't realize. That takes time and when he comes home he's tired, you know. If you look at Alan Peace, I believe it's Alan Peace, the guy who wrote the book What Men Know About Women and it was blank <laughs> and did research into the difference between men and women. He he showed, for example, that the average woman emits about twenty two to twenty four thousand words a day, the average man emits about ten to twelve thousand words a day. And he says by the time a man comes home from work he's out of words, he just wants to eat something, stare at a fire and go, uh. But a woman still has half of her words left. So if she can't get the emotional connection that she needs from him, then it becomes a problem in the relationship, and it leads to battles and divorces. But the point that I'm making, there's an example of an emotional codependency. If she realized what he was doing and shared what her true wants, feelings, and needs were, and they worked out a plan that says, okay... Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you show up by this time, and we agree to do these activities together. And on Saturdays, we do this with the kids or whatever. Then that would be sharing a person's emotional wants, feelings, and needs. And then they could strategize as a couple, which means working on the relationship. But if that kind of awareness isn't there, and we don't have very good relationship or communication schooling in our culture... So usually those kinds of problems bring them to a therapist and that's the first time they learn about this stuff. But how many people out there are having relationship problems because they're feeling emotionally unsatisfied without realizing that they're expecting the other person I got to, you. To, to do that. But 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 in the in the context of health. Yes,
0: If people are feeding their emotions with food or they're feeding their emotions with a busy schedule, is it the coach's role to point that out and create that awareness for them?
1: Absolutely. How else are they going to learn?
0: And so they teach them alternatives to fulfilling those emotions?
1: And also techniques for learning to communicate with your self, whether it be your physical self or your emotional self and getting clear on what it is that really nourishes you. You know, which which this brings me something I want to share with you. I don't know if you know this or not. There's typically four questions, sometimes five, that any skilled shaman will ask a person as their assessment right up front. So let's say, Sean, you came to me with some kind of health problem as a shaman. The shaman's questions are, when did you stop singing? What do most people say? They would say that they... Never sung before? They stopped singing when they were a kid. Mm, Okay. Okay. Gotcha. When did you stop enjoying stories?
0: Personally, I love stories, but I'm going to guess as a kid.
1: Most people say as a child. Okay. Okay. When did you stop dancing?
0: Probably in my teenage
1: years. When did you lose your sense of the magic, the mystery, and the awe of life itself? Personally,
0: I haven't, but But I can understand how the average person probably lost that a long time
1: ago. Yes. Yeah. When did you stop enjoying being alone with yourself? I like being alone with myself, but most people don't. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I have a question for you. If you don't sing, and you don't dance, and you don't take time to enjoy stories, and you don't enjoy being alone with yourself, and you've lost a sense of the magic and the mystery of and the awe of life, what do you do to create emotional fulfillment and a sense of connection to something greater than your seemingly isolated self? Mm.
0: You know, that, 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 what comes to mind is a question from How to Eat be, Eat, Moving, be, he- be Healthy. How Great to eat book. And and be healthy. Phenomenal book, Paul. And I want to say it was something about, do you feel lonely? Yeah. This could be in one of the questionnaires. It is in the questionnaire. Yeah. And I remember I would, uh, that was part of my assessment with my my clients. Yeah. And just about all of them. Yes. felt lone. Yeah. And when we would talk during our consultation or during our sessions, I would ask them, so when was the last time you actually went out, hung out with friends, mm-hmm. you know, just did some socially? Yes. And they would say, last November. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, it is April. Yeah. Like, are you not, if you're not enjoying your life, Yeah, You know, and so so I totally understand where you're coming from. People aren't really participating. They're not living. They're not living. If you're you're not living, you're you're dying.
1: It's all about paying bills and surviving. And we're in a consumer culture where marketing is designed to get you to spend money you don't have on the false promise that if you just have the watch, the car, the new clothes, that you're going to feel better. That's a big scam. And it it never works because you cannot... Use a pair of jeans to fulfill a lack of connection to other people or the joy of singing because it's just fun to sing. And it, you know, there's an old saying, um, singing may not make you, uh, uh, being happy may not make you sing, but singing makes you happy. Absolutely. And it's true, right? And, and we've gotten to the point, for example, where people, are actually so embarrassed of the sound of their own voice. Why? Because somewhere along the line, someone critiqued them. You know, I've taught thousands of people to use art as part of an emotional healing process. And I would say eight out of 10 people tell me they used to do art as a kid, but some teacher in art class belittled them because their face didn't look right or the house wasn't perfect. And it's not just singing, that applies to all Aspects of their
0: lives. Exactly. You know, when I teach my Money Mind Academy class, we talk about desires, yeah. and aspirations for things. A lot of people were criticized as children. You shouldn't want that. You should only want what you need. You don't yes. need that. On right. and on, and we're taught to disown our own human desires. Yes, you know that's that's just part of us. We're never going to be able to get rid of our desires for things. But when we're educated and indoctrinated as kids, that you can't have that. You shouldn't have that. We become adults who are just unhappy.
1: Yes, and so you're bringing up a perfect point. We become conditioned as children not to get our emotional needs fulfilled. Mm -hmm. No, you can't play. No, you can't watch that. You got to go to bed. You got to do your homework, clean your bedroom, whatever. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's it's about making sure the environment's the way mom and dad want it for adults to relax at the end of the day or whatever. But the reality of it is, a child is then conditioned that they can only meet their needs in the way that mommy and daddy want. And what are they watching mommy and daddy do? Drink alcohol at night, smoke cigarettes all day, drink tons of coffee, run around to medical doctors. So they actually learn unconsciously that when you have any kind of emotional pain, you either need to take a pill, drink some alcohol, eat some sugar. And lo and behold, we now have children that look just like their parents and have the same problems and have the same diseases Mm -hmm. and have a hard time with the change process, and then they feel insecure with the concept of doing something to feed their emotions just for them, Mm -hmm.
0: right? Do, Do you feel like they think they'll be judged for trying to change because this programming has been handed down by really strong authorities in their lives?
1: Well, you know, here's the thing. We're wired to emulate each other. We have mirror neurons, right? If I'm sure you, you know, Tony Robbins teaches the principle of mirroring in a a therapy or coaching practice. So, you know, you sit that way. It makes me want to sit that way. If you uh, express yourself a certain way, like maybe you talk faster than me without even me realizing it within 10 minutes, I'll be talking at your pace to try to mirror you because it creates a sense of connection. Uh, you watch a dog see itself in a mirror and it starts mirroring itself and trying to figure out who's who you know but we when we're when we have an opportunity to go into a change process because it's something we authentically need isn't it almost always a departure from the consensus reality i'll give you an example what percentage of the population eats gluten is addicted to sugar doesn't know it uh, is consuming alcohol to numb their pain. Is taking medical drugs to numb the pains of the things that they're denying in themselves because they're not paying attention. Almost everybody, right? Right. So if you start cutting gluten out of your diet, eating organic food, and wearing all cotton and all natural fiber clothes, and you start putting on a pair of five fingers, and you shop at the or health food stores, now compared to your friends and your family. They're like, what are you, a hippie? Mm -hmm. What's going on? And then when you come over to their place and they offer you pizza and you don't want to eat it because it's got gluten in it, they feel like that you're somehow not connecting to them or being disrespectful. Or what do you mean you won't eat the birthday cake? You know? So, one of the big challenges in any behavioral change is always changing the environment. But if a person doesn't have, and this goes back to my earlier proposition to you about uh, not being an adult. If a person does not have a strong enough ego to be at peace with their own choices and allow other people to have their own opinions, even when the person may be perceiving that they're not eating the cake and it's some kind of criticism, but the truth is they're just trying to keep themselves healthy, then they need the connection of others because they don't have a strong enough connection to themselves. and so. Emotional healing becomes challenging because at the end of the day there's a reason for thousands of years. Shaman noticed if a person stops singing, stops dancing, stops enjoying stories, stops enjoying being alone, and loses their sense of the magic and the mystery of life that they have to start medicating themselves and if an entire culture is doing that, automatically you become an oddball and if you don't have enough emotional, mental and self integrity to stand alone knowing that you're doing what ultimately creates freedom for you, then you are psychologically developed to the level of the child that needs external approval to feel good about and yourself. that takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage. That's why the hero's journey is the hero's journey. And that's why our teenage years are tumultuous because our hormones r- are raging when men become teenagers, they have massive amounts of testosterone and the testosterone is there to help us differentiate. That's when you start saying no to mom's ideas, no to dad's ideas, and even no to society's ideas. But as a teenager, you're so jacked up with with these hormones that you kind of have an, I don't give a shit about what mom and dad think attitude. But if you're too conditioned To need mom's and dad's approval and financial support to get through college or to get your car, there's an old saying, he who has the gold rules. So when you're a teenager and you're venturing out into individuality and learning to develop the skills and the abilities to pay your own bills, to buy your own food, to go to the movies that you want to go to or watch what you want to watch without having mommy and daddy's approval... If you don't have the ability to transition to adulthood on your own and you always need mommy and daddy to pay for things and justify things, well, they're always going to be investigating that because they think that's some kind of an investment and they're now you're under their control. So because we don't have rights of initiation for adulthood and rights of initiation for ad- adulthood for women... We don't really have a demarcation of when we are adults and what it means to be adult and what is expected of you as an adult and how do you perform the responsibilities of an adult in a culture. So what we do is we deify doctors as gods, we deify religious figures as gods, and we deify teachers as gods, and all of those that I've used the word God for are invisible parent figures, aren't they? Someone's telling you what you should and shouldn't do with your body, your emotions, and your mind. So what I'm really saying, if it's not clear, is that it is actually a psychological growth and development process. And we have a culture full of children in adult bodies that have parental figures wearing white jackets. It might be the boss at work who tells you what to do, when you can pee, when you can't pee. I mean, I was a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division. There's this thing called rank. Anybody with more rank than you is your daddy. And you must listen or you get punished. And if you don't listen the first time and you get a warning, then you get an Article 15. So they take about $135 a month out of your paycheck. And if that doesn't work, they put you in jail. So because it's highly profitable, because if you think about this, How well has that model worked for the drug industry? Very well. Okay. How well has that model worked for the education industry that tells you without a bachelor's or a master's, you'll never make any money? Very well. Okay. I could just keep going right down the list. So what I'm really saying is we have a cultural growth and development problem, and we are medicating it. And unfortunately, we're medicating it in the same ways our mommy and daddy figures do Which is based on what's legal, which is based on what corporations want to sell you, right? Yeah. Look at how long it took for pot to start getting legalized. It's a drug that's a hundred times safer and better for you than alcohol ever will be. Mm. But until they could figure out how to privatize it and profitize it, then it was considered very illegal, dangerous, can cause you to have lunacy, crazy. You know, they did this with all the. Plant medicines, right? But only when it becomes a corporate venture that the mommy daddy figures of society can make money on does it become legal. But those of us that are, shall we say, in our warrior stage or have individuated say, screw you. Marijuana works way better than alcohol. You can poison yourself all you want. I'll smoke my pot. I'll keep it in my car. I'll keep it quiet. I'll do what I got to do so that I can have a sense of connection or be an individual but when we lose our individuality and the only way we can survive in a culture remember a culture arnold mendel says a culture is a bunch of people doing the same things yeah well what if everybody's doing the same things that are making everybody sick tired fearful about whether they have enough money to pay their bills i I saw a research study not long ago that said 97 to 98 percent of the u.s population is two paychecks from bankruptcy how is that? How do you live that way? Right. I mean, think of the stress of think, that. How much of that do you think? And when I say
0: that, I mean just everything we're talking about here is a fear of taking responsibility.
1: Well, that that's that's why they had uh, the initiation ceremonies for men to turn them into warriors and adults, and women when they became um, when they went through puberty, they usually went through a ceremony to initiate them into womanhood, but a woman's got a guaranteed rite of passage. It's called getting pregnant. You know um, you know what a sweat lodge is, right? right? Most people don't know this, but the sweat lodge ceremony was designed by the women elders in Native American culture in tribes to initiate a man into the experience of carrying a child for nine months and having to give birth to it. So, the actual sweat lodge represents the womb, and the experience of the heat and the intensity of having to endure it is a symbolic expression of what it takes to become a woman and be a mother and it's ball busting right um, If you go to a real sweat lodge, you can have deep spiritual experiences and I've done them, and and I'm a guy who's done a lot of journeys and a lot of tough things in his life, and a real sweat lodge is a real initiation process. And knowing what a sweat lodge was when I went in, I got out of the sweat lodge, and I had a whole new level of respect for what it means to be a woman and carry a child. So my point is, women have a built-in rite of passage. The day you get pregnant, you are initiated into womanhood. There's menstruation as well. Menstruation, yes, but you know, you can be a foolish twenty year old menstruating being irresponsible. Mm-hmm. But when you're pregnant, the cost of that is that you have to deal with the damage you do to your child for the rest of your life. So there's a real life sentence for two people at least involved. I got you. And there's a lot of people watching, right? Um, like your mother. So Men in our culture don't have a rite of passage, so what do they do? They go to the gym and torture the shit out of themselves. They drive cars too fast and crash and injure themselves. They um, take martial arts and turn themselves into a badass and and, uh, condition themselves to take a lot of pain. They push the edges of things. They they go out and do shamanic journeys. They climb mountains and, and... risk death. I mean, if you just look at the things that men do in order to have a sense of pride and connection to themselves as a man, you can see they're always pushing the edge. And I mean, I work with a lot of men and world-class athletes, and I am a guy who's done a lot of these things. I know what I did to prove to myself. What did you do? Well, I, I rode in the rodeo. I was a, a martial artist for several years i was a kickboxer i was on a bo- the fourth best amateur boxing team in the world i um what would be a, a proper became
0: a father what would be a proper form of initiation for men in our culture well Impossible.
1: that's very very open to debate because if you study tribal cultures they had radically different systems that went from tribe to tribe for example In some Native American cultures, they would give you a vision quest. So that often meant they took you to the edge of a cliff, and then they made a circle of stones. And then the shaman gave you a dose of a shamanic drug like peyote or mushrooms or, uh, you know, ayahuasca or whatever the tribe used. And you were told you have got to stay in that circle until you have a clear vision of who you've came to this world to be and how you're going to support the tribe in that process. And if you leave that circle, and this could go on for days, and oftentimes they weren't allowed to have food or water. Well, try four days in a circle, shitting and pissing in that thing while you're on a heavy-duty drug, and there's nobody there to support you. So what was happening is the shaman and the chief or the elders would be hiding in the background watching to make sure you didn't kill yourself or something but you didn't know they were there until there was an emergency. Others, uh, I've seen, for example, one of them I remember in my studies is, and this is one fairly common to a lot of tribes, once you reach puberty as a boy, usually around 13 to 14 years of age, they signify that you're ready now to become a man, and they have a special day where they do these ceremonies, and what they do is every adult in the tribe picks up a stick like a baseball bat like a a big piece of wood and the whole tribe lines up and they make a pathway that you've got to run through and you have to run through there and and the people in the tribe know they have to do something that's tricky to do they got to beat you to the edge of your life you have got to make it down that pathway if it takes you five hours to crawl with your cheeks knocked out your teeth knocked out and scars all over you then you've got to get to the end of that path or you're not a man and you have to be able to do it for something bigger than yourself so all the rites of passages were to teach you to live for the tribe you had to let go of your eye needs as a child and orient your needs to the survival and protection right. of the whole tribe other ones do a variety of techniques from cutting see, see, see okay so
0: what I'm getting at here is that in our culture, those things are frowned upon.
1: Well, of drugs,
0: uh, abuse—that that, that is, yeah. um, people would say that is. Um, I would say that is. What do we do in our society, though? What we like, do in our society. What, what is what is there? So, what, is, what is, is there something that we can do in our society that signifies
1: initiation for
0: men, or things just hopeless?
1: well look there's these are deep deep issues and and you you see we don't have the same situation we turn over the responsibilities of protecting our family and our our tribe or our city to the state the state government okay you're not likely to have to go out with a gun or a machete or a, a, a bow and arrow to fight off the neighboring tribe that wants to eat your food and take your women. So we've actually relinquished a lot of the responsibility of protecting ourselves and the responsibility of negotiating with potentially enemy tribes and peoples to what we call the government. And in that, we've turned a blind eye to the tactics that the government uses. So we think that wars like Vietnam are real wars or that the wars in the Middle East are real wars, when they're really, they're actually... um, raiding parties to steal resources and things like that. So that's the dark side of turning over the responsibility of protecting yourself is that you now don't know what's really going on at the top. And I could go for a long discussion on that. But the reality of it is, is that, and I get asked this question a lot and and by a lot of young men, what we, when we become a man, let me ask you: What does it mean? To, what do you What do you have to do today, Sean? As a man, that makes you a man that you did not have to do as a child.
0: For me, that would just be taking responsibility for my life.
1: Taking responsibility yeah.
0: for your life. There mm-hmm. you go. Whatever happens to me is on me. It's on you. Yeah, I don't blame people.
1: And you for can't it. ask yeah. mommy to pay your bills. Right. You can't ask mommy to um break up with your girlfriend for you. Mm-hmm. You can't. Uh, have mommy um, pay the bill because you rented a car and trashed it and took it back and tried to lie your way out of it, right? You have to take responsibility for your choices. If you sign the dotted line on a rental agreement, you're responsible. If you borrow money from the bank, you've got to pay it back. So really, to be an adult in our culture means that you have to take responsibility for the choices that you make but typically in our culture where when you become a man it means that you're a you're protecting something right i'm i was a father when i just turned 18 my first son was born i had to decide right then and there my parents didn't have enough money to to fund me her parents didn't have enough money to fund me i was faced with a situation collect welfare or man up. And I had too big of an ego to collect welfare, even at 18. So what did I have to do? I had to get a job and I had to make enough money to get an apartment and own a car. And I had to get a job and I had to make damn sure I was a reliable, good worker because I grew up on Vancouver Island when the unemployment rate was 17.4%. That's very high unemployment. So there's tons of people competing for jobs. I had a ninth grade education. Try going and competing for a job with a ninth grade education, and 80% of the people have a college degree. You can't get a job sweeping a floor. Right. So the only way I could get a job was to do a damn good job and get good references so that when I went somewhere, I already had numbers they could call to say, this guy is a good worker. I had to pay the bills. I had to take care of myself. I had to be conscious that when I was out kickboxing and racing cars that I didn't destroy myself and leave my family without somebody to care for them. I had to, my definition of a man is someone, an adult or a man or a woman is someone that says what they mean and means what they say.
0: Okay. So getting back to health though, Mm -hmm. if the choices that people are making or not making when it comes to their health are fueled by emotions. Yes. And if the emotions, because I I have to think if someone isn't taking responsibility for their lives and their lives are in disarray, they are triggering certain emotions within that that person. Yes. And do those emotions, then they're creating choices or they're making choices with their health. Yeah. Is it the role of the coach to somehow facilitate the client, that adult's acceptance of responsibility? Because it seems like it all goes back to responsibility. It is.
1: Uh, That is, And is that too much for a coach to do? Only if they're themselves not an adult, because you can't lead somebody down a trail you haven't navigated effectively yourself. A child can't teach an adult how to be an adult. So of all all the coaches out there, what percentage do you think
0: are actually real adults? Because you've had lots of experience with coaches.
1: Well, um, if I just had to take a wild guess at it, I would say... Maybe five, five to eight, maybe five to 10% of coaches and therapists worldwide have reached a level of adult uh, responsibility and maturity. I mean, most of the guys in the military were there because they wanted a paycheck and they wanted a meal, right? You should see the look on people's faces when bullets start flying. They're like, oh my God, I didn't know that people might actually really die. I'm like, well, you joined the military for God's sakes. Right. You thought that it was just going to be video games and, and hot meals in the commissary or the kitchen for the rest of your life. But, you know, I've worked with many people that came back with PTSD from battlefield trauma that straight up told me I joined the military with the intention of getting a vocation, but I really never conceived that I would end up in a battlefield. Right. Well, that's guess what? You just got your initiation to adulthood. That's the reality of life. So, with coaches
0: or healthcare practitioners, you know, we talk about getting to the root cause of the health condition. Yeah. Um, If the root cause is a lack of taking responsibility for one's life, then should more focus be on teaching the practitioners? how to take responsibility for their own lives that's, so they get better results that way instead of talking exactly about it that's
1: exactly why i had to create hlc1 penny can tell you i started off with used to be nlc nutrition and lifestyle coaching and what was what is taught in hlc2 was taught in the original nlc1 and i had very unhealthy irresponsible people coming from all over the world taking courses. And then they would come to what is now HLC3, which was then HLC2. And even after six months a year, I could see that there was no changes in their bodies. There was no changes. I'm watching them drinking Cokes and eating garbage, yet here they are at an advanced training program to guide other people. And I said, you guys cannot actually teach anything that you haven't practiced yourself until you've taken somebody off of gluten. You have no idea how challenging that is. You think it's just a matter of telling somebody what to do. You try getting somebody off of sugar. It's as addictive as morphine. If you can't get yourself to bed on time and you can't get yourself to the gym, you are not going to be successful as a coach because you're not coaching from a place of authenticity. And if you haven't been through the process, you cannot have empathy or compassion for people because you don't know what you're asking them to do. So I said to Penny, I said, I cannot, this is not what I'm here to teach. I am not making this an intellectual process where we just make a bunch of money by telling people how to do things that they're never going to be able to do and it's going to be lousy coaching. It'll ruin my institute. So I then cut everything out that had to do with just taking care of yourself, which is what's in how to eat, move, and be healthy, expanded a little bit, made it HLC1, and said, don't come back to HLC2 until you have practiced what's in this course for at least six months or you are not ready to be a professional holistic lifestyle coach. That is your requirement. And if you come to class, either I or one of the instructors will look you in the eye and tell you you are bullshitting yourself, you're playing a game, you are not ready to coach other people, you can take the class, but use the knowledge to go back and do the work you were supposed to do to get here. Work on yourself. Work on yourself. Have you ever read Power Versus Force? Yeah. I remember in that book, he says
0: that healthcare practitioners, he might have talked about medical doctors specifically, who have a higher level of consciousness get better results with their patients. Sure they do. So the objective of your training is that to raise the student's consciousness.
1: Yes. Look, um, simple way to look at this. Who's got more consciousness, someone who's authentic or inauthentic? Authentic. Authentic, because the only way you can be authentic is to honestly engage your life and take responsibility for when you've made a mistake. Osho says there's no such thing as a sin except doing something twice when you know it didn't work the first time. That's what it means to be an adult, right? Look, you play around with sex, you get someone pregnant. Well, you just got yourself a 30-year job being a parent. And if you, how many people do that and don't take responsibility for it? A lot. They just, Or they just get up and leave, and here you got some poor girl stuck with a kid all by herself, and now her family has to carry the burden, right? <laughs> That's not being authentic. You go to a job. You think you're going to make lots of money, but the next thing you know, you realize you got to study a lot and work late hours. So you say, screw that, and you start not performing, and you get fired, or you jump to another job, and you're really looking for money without having to work. So in order for us to be authentic, we have to be authentic with ourselves. And to be authentic with ourselves, we have to put awareness into what's working and what's not working relative to the choices we've made. And we also have to be brave enough to do things that are out of the consensus norm, right? Um, Look, when I was a kid, I had a bad fungal infection. My mother took me to several doctors. Nobody knew what the hell was wrong with me. It wasn't until I was 36 years of age and I'd done extensive study that I began to realize that the very symptoms that I had been going to doctors for as a kid were exactly what I was reading about in books on fungal infections and parasite infections and said, okay, now I know what's wrong with me. Well, that required that I had to get everything out of my diet that I liked eating (laughs) because I'd been accustomed to that. It meant that I had to Support my immune system. I needed to change my sleep cycle. I had to do a lot of things to clear that to a manageable level. In other words, I had to go to a new level of adult responsibility in managing myself if I wanted to heal. I believe that when we go to doctors and therapists for our challenges and don't get help, it's because spirit is guiding us into taking responsibility for pioneering new ways of solving a problem or being brave enough to look into areas where other people don't look an example of that how many people are rushing off to the amazon or to peru right now to do a shamanic journey because they don't like their life they're not happy they're not fulfilled and the anti-anxiety drugs or the anti-depression drugs or the headache medicines or the gut medicines haven't done anything for them and so they, 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 go, they come to the realization, I have got to do something well, different. Do
0: they have to do that?
1: No, they don't have to do that. Right. But the point I'm making is they're going out of the consensus norm. Mm-hmm. They're being brave enough to make a decision that only they can make and go into a process that only they can take responsibility for.
0: The, the brave part is the brave part of decision in itself to decide to be brave, or is that a step-by-step process, or what, what, what does that look like for somebody to well, be that courageous? Because you know you talked about consensus, yeah. and consensus can be tough to go against consensus because that sets you up for judgment and criticism.
1: That's the whole point. So, that's yeah. where the bravery comes, and that's what I call spiritual courage. So look, pretend you're 18 or 20 or 24, and you are challenged to feel happy and to feel connected, and, and maybe you're depressed. And you've seen 10 or 12 doctors and you've tried the drugs and they've made you worse. And maybe you're still on two or three of them. And then you watch a YouTube video and you see a bunch of people go through a shamanic healing experience in Peru. And several of those people have very similar symptom profiles to yours. And something inside you just turns on and says, I've got to do that. I don't know why. I just know that's what I've got to do. Okay, good. Now you go back. And you tell your mom and dad, mom, I need a little support. Dad, I need a little support. I've got to leave work for a month. I need some help covering my rent because I'm going to go into the jungle and I'm going to go see a shaman and do a healing journey. What's the f- response likely to
0: be? You're going to get criticized. They're going to think you're
1: crazy. They're going they you're might... taking
0: You're taking more responsibility for your life, but they're calling you irresponsible yes. at the same time. And
1: their first reaction yeah. is, We're probably going to have to pay for the damage you're about to do with yourself. And the very fact that you want to go do that makes us know that your medications aren't working and you need to go back to the doctor and get a higher dose of another drug. That's the hero's journey. That's what it is. That's when you have to say, okay, then I have to leave my job and I have to get rid of my apartment and put everything I own in a storage locker And be brave enough to go into the jungle and find myself and heal myself and trust that I'm making the right decision and be brave enough to let mom and dad have their opinion and uh, be, shall we say, have enough faith that I will return home with the prize of trusting my intuition and my instincts. And until we get pushed into ourselves, we're not an adult.
0: Right. Right. I know this isn't the only option, um, shamanic experiences. No, no, no. I'm just using like it that. as an example right, because right, right. it
1: stands out as an abnorma- abnormality for our alcohol-driven and drug-driven culture. For
0: for those watching who are looking for some other type of op- option that doesn't include drugs and using substances, yeah. is that like meditation? Like, it well, could, what could be that
1: meditation. Be? It could be going. Uh, one of the ones I've suggested many times is go on a camping trip. Go out into the mountains by yourself. Go on a, a a pilgrimage. Go spend time alone in the wilderness. People can't be by themselves these days. No, they can't. But you look, when you're an adult, who is there to rescue you? Nobody. Nobody. Nobody's coming to save you. No. I mean, yeah. I mean, there, if your house is on fire, the fire department will come, of course, right? But if your relationship's on fire and you're having a hard time with your wife or you're angry all the time and you're scaring your kids, what are you going to do? Go cry on your buddy's shoulder? Hey, I, come to, I need you to come to my house and get my wife to calm down? That's not going to work. They're like, give me a break, dude. I got my own problems. So, you know, there's many ways we can do it. Weightlifting. What is, what is weightlifting? It's a constant challenge to better ourselves. What does it take? Commitment. What do you have to do to deal with the pain? you got to work through it. You find a coach. Almost always when we go on a hero's journey, we got to find a mentor, somebody who's already walked the path, and somebody that's not our mother or our father or our aunt or our uncle because that's too close to home. Now you're right back into the child position. Many, many young men and women have come to me for what they thought was therapy. What really they came to me to engage the journey to becoming an adult. And the reality of it is that many of the things that we call a health problem or a health crisis is our own self-developed initiation process. Mm, and we like are entering the hero's journey by deciding to take responsibility for what we're creating, and you can't get any closer to the fire than the mirror.
0: So there's a purpose for it.
1: There's a purpose for it. Mm-hmm. We are inducing it. We have to have this because do you realize that if we don't become adults that we will extinguish ourselves as a species i mean i don't want to start a political dialogue and get attacked by people but if you look at donald trump what i look at is i see a teenager who's got way too much money and power at his fingertips but hasn't actually gone deep enough into life to understand the responsibilities and the ramifications of being racist of being uh, using threats of power against other com- countries that have plenty of power to trigger off a nuclear war, who hasn't got enough depth of understanding of the life process to realize that continuing to drill oil and frack on a planet that's got serious environmental problems and has had free energy technologies that have been confiscated from inventors for a hundred years from Tesla to Keeley to many others, we have the technology. It's all about money and power. But the key point I'm making is Donald Trump is mirroring back the level of psychology of the culture. And the problem is, When your government is mirroring back a culture that's lost its way in the hero's journey and lost its elders, or we haven't lost our elders, they just don't get any airtime, right? There's lots of wise people on YouTube, but not on Fox News, not on the six o'clock news hour. Right. And look how much we hear about all the bad stuff, but we don't get much inspiration stories like I'm sharing Sean Croxon with the world because he does something interesting in the world and beautiful in the world. I want people to know about him. But how many how many times have you heard about Rupert Sheldrake? On the news, how much airtime does the Dalai Lama get relative to Donald Trump or, or some moron who's just got caught screwing his secretary and is making a fool out of himself that'll cover the news hour for hours, but yet fifteen minutes of wisdom from Marshall Rosenberg or any of the leaders of emotional intelligence or spiritual intelligence or financial intelligence. That's one of the things I loved about Oprah Winfrey is she really helped get some wise people like uh, um, Eckhart Tolle into the mainstream. Right. But if you, if you say, okay, what would happen if we made it equal airtime so that the silliness on television is counterbalanced by people with a legitimate amount of wisdom and life experience to share. Like if if you listen to someone like Barbara Marks Hubbard, who is an 87-year-old woman who is super fit, still beautiful, still healthy, and wickedly wise and intelligent, and could tr- transform an entire culture if she had an hour a day on television to share her wisdom. But you have to go to a a little tiny, hardly ever heard of company called Gaia TV that's still considered kind of hippie new age out in the corner to get that real wisdom. Mm. Yet, what do we have now? We have grandparents who are focused more on um, cruise ship vacations and getting their next luxury car and the next fancy style than really caring about raising the children and, and leading them because they're burnt out from a life of working for money. So there there there's a there's a lot of ways having a child that'll guarantee you the door to adulthood just opened having a job and being a responsible contributor to a team that shows up on time takes their work seriously and actually brings value to a company instead of just sucking on the hind tit and expecting to get a paycheck for just being there yes right i mean I could tell you a lot of very interesting stories about the things that we've been through with our own employees. It was an interesting day when Penny had to come home and put a system on our copy machines where they had to check in with a passcode so that we weren't getting ripped off and having people use the copy machines for personal uses. We had to code all the phones because all sorts of long distance and very expensive calls were being made from company phones. Our laundry supplies were going missing. Our cleaning supplies were going missing. and I'm, These are the people that I pay to work for me, to create a company, to do a good service to the world, and I'm being ripped off by my own employees. Why? Because they don't see me as the leader of a company or a mission. They see me as the big daddy who's got lots of toilet paper and can afford all the copies in the world and can has an infinite credit card for phone bills, so just drain the titty, right? That's, that's the life of a child it's like wanting all- the privileges of an adult. Yeah, But to be an adult means to legitimately contribute to something that brings meaning to your life in the world.
0: Right. It's like we're always looking for parents.
1: Until you become an adult, right, and then you realize that now you've got to take care of your parents because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. they're all tired I, I want to get
0: back to what you were saying about you know ninety percent of the news being negativity, and you talked about the president as well. just want to be clear on that is is what we see the reality that we see is that just a reflection of the general consciousness like the- yeah. okay
1: it's it's uh It's where the center of gravity of consciousness in our culture is, meaning if you take all the people from the Dalai Lama and, you know, the Eckhart Tolls, or the many wise people that are out there, I mean, there's a lot of them, and you go all the way down to the troublemakers who are just a havoc and a wreck to society, which would be the lowest level of consciousness— the center of gravity of our culture hovers somewhere between sexual pleasure and personal gain, the second and third chakra. We're, we're still caught, but all you got to do is look at how they sell things on television, right? That's how you can see where a culture's at. But they do a lot of research to make ads to sell, and to sell, you have to know who your target audience is. So most of the things that are sold on television are either to make you look better, i.e., more higher status than you are a cool car cool clothing cool watch um living in this neighborhood or there are things to enhance your sex life or your energy levels Mm -hmm. but um if you tried to market books for spiritual healing on television uh you'd you'd have to uh, like when i tried to uh I took How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy to 10 publishers, major publishers. Uh, My literary agent was Margaret McBride, who was very successful. She did all the One Minute Manager with Ken Blanchard and many other very successful books. And she loved my book, and she was a patient of mine. That's how it happened. And she really believed that we could sell this. When I went to the publishers, almost every one of them said, if, everything the, if the things you're saying in this book are true, it means every one of our health and fitness authors is wrong. And if we publish this, we're going to have a coup on our hands. And I'm like, well, this is true and I can prove it to you. And I brought all sorts of calipers and tools and I did tests on them and I showed them and I gave them research. I made it clear this was true. And I said, look, I have got thousands of patients. I have letters from professional sports teams from the Chicago Bulls. And the list is long. Olympic committees. This is what works. And, you know, you look, for example, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's Weston A. Price Foundation, Sally Fallon and Mary Enig. Uh, you know, they're both experts on fat and right. things like that. Mary Enig's a famous expert on, on fats. Sally Fallon, I remember reading an article in the Weston A. Price Journal, said that at the time, I don't remember what year this was, she said, since 1989, not one major publisher has ever published a book telling the truth or touting the benefits of saturated fat, Right. Now, let me just give you an example of how ridiculous this is. About 33,000 people a year die of AIDS, but we hear about it on television a lot. Well, there was a very solid scientific study done that showed 85,000 people a year were dying from trans fatty acid consumption. It never made the news. Nobody wanted to know the truth because why the food manufacturers are making billions and billions of dollars off of putting that stuff in food. It's only been recently that books that have information like I tried to publish in 2003 are able to get published because it took that long for the transition to happen and multiple research studies to come out. So we have this sort of paradoxical situation where the truth often does not sell very well. And when you try to sell the truth, you don't get a lot of support. So I we've sold about 180, 170, 180,000 copies of Heidi mm-hmm. Move Mel, but I had to do that by doing seminars all over the world and working myself to death and carrying cartons of books and shipping them all over the world and demonstrating the proof of this and and building a culture of Czech professionals who could take their clothes off in public and say this is the result of eating real food, but yet the whole medical system and dietary dietitians and, and nutritional systems and all their so-called research is going completely against that. Why? Because they're all corporate-funded. But anyhow, I forgot what we were really driving at. <laughs> it's all good. it's well, uh, important stuff.
0: Absolutely. Um, we were talking about... Um, media negativity, Trump yes. immaturity being a reflection oh, of yes. Where's the, the collective of of consciousness, consciousness right? right right right. right. And and and, and, and if so, do you consider it to be kind of a good thing because it might facilitate a deeper awareness? Like things have to get bad before they
1: get better? Well, you know, I I have a a cliche a cliche or a signifier um I tell people that whenever you're not paying attention to your highest truth, your heart, or your instincts, the pain teacher shows up to guide you. So is Trump the pain teacher? Trump Trump is our mirror of our choices, and um, our health challenges are our Donald Trump, metaphorically. Um, our inability to effectively... Have concerns for the fact that there's almost two billion people in the world that don't have food to eat and water to drink and it's getting worse um, our inability to stand up to the fact that the division between the rich and the poor is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, which always leads to a, a, a you know well the end of a civilization essentially um, but if you you know, one of the things that i Say to my patients and my students is this, and I think this will point what i 'm getting at to you if I had a magic wand and I said okay sean i 'm going to wave this magic wand at you, and i 'm going to give ask you a question if I wave the magic wand and knock out all that you 've learned from the painful experiences in life, or I wave the magic wand and Knock out all you've learned from the times you were having fun and things were going good. Which one would you want to keep? Only the good times, or would you want to keep the wisdom from the bad times?
0: I would want to keep the wisdom from the bad times. Why? Because it's made me who I am, because there's been so many lessons there. There's so much wisdom there. Isn't that amazing? No.
1: And I've never had a single person tell me when they actually were honest and sat and thought about it nobody says, I just want to keep all the good times. Well,
0: I, I accept the pains of my life. I, you know? I do too, because that's how you learn. That's how you learn. What does Napoleon Hill say? Uh, for every failure or challenge, there's a seed of equal um, benefit. Opportunity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's but- always something, that, something good that comes out of my problems. Every single time. There hasn't been a single problem that I've had that I wasn't able to extract something really good out of.
1: Yeah. Look, I've rehabilitated countless of the world's greatest athletes. Well, when they come to me and they tell me they're in pain, it takes me five minutes watching them move or in a gym and go, well, no wonder you're in pain. You, you've you got terrible deadlifting technique or squat technique, or you've been running with a limp for 10 years and you didn't even know it and, and uh, no one else picked it up because you injured your ankle 10 years ago and never got proper rehab. So now your SI joints all screwed up and you got a scoliosis in your spine because you're running 12 or 15 pounds heavy on your left leg and you don't even know you're doing it, dot, dot, dot. But the the, the point that I'm making is, is that we often don't know when we're doing something wrong until some kind of discomfort gets involved. And then, like, look, when we fall in love with someone, it's all sex and lovey-dovey and excitement and we think we're going to live happily ever after. But six months or a year later, we're waking up having sex and then 20 minutes later and we're on a ball out you know on a brawl and we're like oh my god who is this person and the next thing you know the woman that gave you all the freedom to really be yourself and told her she loved you like you are is now bitching at you because you work too much but you're working exactly the same amount you were then you know so the point i'm making is pain brings us into the awareness That we have to go deeper into our own belief systems and our own operating systems to identify what it is that we weren't seeing in ourselves or in others or in life or in work or in sports before. Do you think that's happening right now? It's happening always. Mm -hmm. It's happening always. The difference is we've now got to the point where we have damaged the environment so badly And we have weapons of mass distraction that are so powerful, and we have nuclear weapons and military weapons that are powerful enough to destroy the earth easily, completely, yet we haven't really grown in our spiritual maturity to realize that we can't manage these powers when we're motivated by greed or individual consumption and racial prejudice and even religious prejudice. I mean, look, how many times in my classroom do you think I've had somebody try to tell me that if I didn't take Jesus as my savior, I would burn in hell? And I say, look, do you realize that when you talk that way, there's only something like 1.2 billion Christians or even call it 2 billion, but then there's 6 billion, 7 of 5 billion people or 6 billion people that aren't Christian that have other religions and other beliefs that are just as important to them. When you alienate people like that, you create polarity and the number one cause of war throughout history has been religious battles. So if we're If we haven't come to the place where we realize we have to have the interest in other people's beliefs, we have to be interested in in whether or not other people can get water and food, not just steal their oil. When, when, When we're at a point right now where we have the paradox of more scientific technology, more food than we've had in a long time, no matter how it's getting here, We have enough technology, enough resources that everybody should be able to live a decent life, but it's getting to the point where we have higher and higher rates of disease. Research shows that all the internet connections, all the Facebooks, all the texting, all the Twitters, the Twatters, and the Tweeters are not actually improving people's sense of connection. It's actually growing more isolation and more depression and more anxiety. Well, well,
0: do you think we need to get to the point where we can respect differing opinions? As I always say, there's as many like belief systems as there are people in the world. Yeah. But these days, there's so much division because if somebody believes something different than what you believe, then you automatically have to condemn them. I feel like that needs to go away. We need to have more respect for people. Exactly. But that's,
1: that's, look. If you were a chief of a tribe and you behave that way to a neighboring tribe, what would that do to your chances of survival if the neighboring tribe was twice your size? You'd be gone. That's why the chief was considered the wisest man in the tribe, because he was most likely to be able to solve a problem nonviolently. And if he couldn't, he was the most likely one to be able to lead you into war with the best chance of winning because he wasn't just a good talker. He was an intelligent man who probably was a very experienced warrior as well. And one of the things you learn in dangerous environments like a battlefield is that there's a real cost to doing battle. Even, you know, I spent a lot of my life in a boxing ring, and there's, I've watched a lot of people in kickboxing and boxing get very hurt injuries that last the rest of their life. And this is one of the reasons that martial arts, if it's done properly, can be a real growth and development process for a young man or woman to become an adult, because you learn that that heavy bag hits back, right? This isn't just going to a boxing class like in an aerobic studio. If you elbow somebody or kick somebody in the balls, one, it's illegal. Two, you open the door for that kind of abuse to come right back at you. So you really find that life is a mirror. And how you treat other people is how they treat you. And you know, it sounds very hippie, but there's the old saying, live and let live. We should be able to find ways like we we shouldn't have to attack the Middle East because they have different religious beliefs in us. And we shouldn't we shouldn't need to be attacked by other people we should be able to find ways i mean that's what the the un is supposed to be for but look i've seen numerous reports saying that it's a joke it it's it's bypassed it doesn't work it's really uh you know it's more of an a symbol of something that we want to work but people inside often say that it's just not working at all because the corporate interests don't want it to work right it stops people from stealing from smaller countries or weaker countries but it's but, but they don't want to be stopped these are the look the challenges that we're going through as a culture and as a world are no different than the challenges we go through when you get married and have kids or when you go to work and have a boss and responsibilities but we're seeing that our level of development at a personal level is mirroring itself in a relationship level in a professional level in a state level, in a national level, and in a world cultural level, right? How many people do you know of that would that could have their people slaughtered by the Chinese military or any military and then honestly stand on television and say, I'm capable of loving and understanding those people like the Dalai Lama does, right? There's a man who lost everything. Over a million of his people killed, their temples destroyed, and yet he has room in his heart for those people to this very day. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of person we need leading us. And that's not somebody who should just be kind of somebody in the back woods, in the back left-hand corner of a bookstore, who doesn't make it onto television unless you're watching some odd channel at late hours at night or some internet channel, Um, that's a person who's lived a legitimate life trial, who has demonstrated authentic spiritual growth. And what I'm saying is he is exemplifying the journey of all human beings, except that he has made that journey and have not just him, but many others. But do you see what I'm saying is there are leaders and examples out there for us But it's the corporate greed that control the television stations and the corporations that program society to be addicted, to be sick, to be profitable, and to be controllable, which is, uh, you know, the mountains of research on how religion is used to do that is unbelievable. If you look at Richard Wilhelm's version of the Tao Te Ching, he shows you that throughout the history of China— emperors would bring in spiritual teachers and masters and have them explain everything, and then they would get their council together and use those concepts and manipulate them to control people. Uh, Along with our anger
0: for pharmaceutical companies and the presidents, should we have compassion
1: for them? I don't have anger towards them. There's a lot of that going on right now, though, well, there is, but you see the thing is they're all people just like you and I exactly um I just feel sad that their their focus is more on making money than creating health and harmony in the world because ultimately those people die of the same disease as everybody else does. So look uh-huh. many at one time, I had thirty three doctors referring me clients, and many of them were my patients and There was days where almost everybody on my schedule was the wife of the child or the child of a medical doctor or the doctor themselves, and many of them wanted to keep it hush-hush because they were afraid that if other doctors knew they were seeing me and getting into organic food and and vitamins and functional medicine testing and things that were poo-pooed, that it might, you know, cause a lot of stress for them. Um. I think we're all growing up together. Um I you know I think my concern is really that we're now at a point where we the sandbox is in rough shape, right? The kids have sort of played the garden out, poisoned it. We've we're destroying nature. Um We can't afford to go to war to take things from people. We have got to make room for each other, and we need to really bring the wise people in our culture to the forefront, and government needs to be transformed so that it's not all about uh, corporate interests. I mean, the the amount of the (laughs) games that go on, I mean, you know, it's not my intention to have a political discussion, but. You and I both know enough about life to know that what we call government is really a bunch of people carefully seated in there that are on the corporations, dire- directors of corporations are working directly for them to swing the vote and pass laws to allow uh, oil drilling to be drilled in national parks and to get away with murder. But, that, and, but that's changing. Well, slowly, but yeah. it's also getting worse in many ways. the
0: same with our last election that's changing. People different people are actually running for office these days
1: running for office and getting voted in is two different things I got you. and um saying what you're going to do and doing it turns out to be something that happens very little in politics and that's part of the deal of being honest and truthful and it doesn't matter how honest and truthful one politician is if he can't get the rest of them to move with him it, really what i'm saying isn't about politics right It's not about the medical system. It's about us. It's about us. And it's an answer to your question, where are we at as a culture psychologically? We're in the teenage years where we're pushing everything to the limit, but it's all about what I want, less about what we need. And I think that you and I have uh, been around long enough now and helped a lot of people with enough problems to realize that a lot of what you and I help people with, you're learning and studying motivation and inspiration and behavioral change because isn't everything we're talking about behavioral change? Absolutely. And isn't it about relationship and being honest about what we need as an individual and what we need in a relationship? And isn't it true that the same things that make a happy household, make a happy town, make a happy state, make a happy country, make a happy world? Because everywhere in the world, there are individuals that have needs and there are individuals having kids and there's kids that need schools. And those kids that go to those schools become tomorrow's workers and tomorrow's leaders. And if we don't Work together to protect our own health, which comes directly from the planet. If we don't understand the importance of the soil, the water, the air, and the resources, then how can we create safety and security for each other? Who cares if you have the whole world, but you destroy it the way we're destroying everything? So we're really in a situation where your own evolution has brought you to the point where you've come to realize, this is me observing you, that what we really need to do is work on our mental-emotional guidance systems. Because if the GPS system is off, you always arrive at the wrong destination. And that's exactly what my work has done. My work's taken me from a mastery of the physical sciences to a mastery of the mental and the emotional to a progressive development of the spiritual, which fortunately for me began early because of my mother being a yogi, but slowly infusing over my now 33-plus year career more and more of the spiritual teachings in not denominational, not saying my way versus your way, but saying we, we have to be concerned about we. So do you see that your questions about how to become adult? are being answered by our own lives. We've done it, and we're aware of it, and now we're faced with the responsibility of knowing that we are elders now, me and you, and lots of people listening, and it's up to us. And why, Sean, were you so motivated to share that knowledge? Because you saw a lot of people in pain. You saw a lot of people confused, just like I did. Once you realize that telling people to get the sugar out of their diet, get the gluten out of their diet, isn't really getting to the core issue, then you realize it's something deeper. And when you get to the something deeper, you realize the only way I can get to the something deeper in someone else is to get to the something deeper in me. And when you get to the something deeper in you, you realize that that, now you can see what's missing in everybody. Mm -hmm. And now we can see that what we need to do is get past I. Right. And we got to get to we.
0: Let me ask you, um, to the individual person, it can all seem so overwhelming.
1: Sure it the can. The way that
0: things are. And yeah. it can very easily get them to go, it's too much. I can't do anything about this myself. That's not true. But do you? that's where I'm getting to. Do you believe that when you raise your own consciousness, you raise the consciousness of the whole at the Absolutely. same time? Right.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, In my studies of religion, I studied um, Scientology, and I actually went to a Scientology business school, not because I was interested in Scientology at all. But when I studied l. ron Hubbard and read several of his books, who was clear to me he was a genius? He was a genius, you know most people I don't, don't want to
0: hear that they'll no, they'll laugh at you but no, they, i've I've read some of his books don't. myself. I took a class as well. They keep sending me mail but yeah they can be They are calling me they're, they're,
1: you know they 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 really like to make money, and he was like a lot of genius, he was into money too but when you when I went to Scientology training and Studied L. Ron Hubbard in his book. I believe it's called The Science of Mind. It's probably sitting in my library in the other room. But he talked about what he called the tone scale. And he'd actually done research to show this was true. And it's not even hard to perceive when you really understand it. So he has a tone scale that goes from one would be the lowest and four is the highest. So someone who's at a four is a happy, well integrated person that's in a good state of mental, emotional self-management and they're, they can be an effective leader. They can really pick up a group. They can inspire and motivate. And then someone who's at a three is doing fine. They're stable, but they're not really uh, on top of their game. Someone who's at a two is a bit detached and disgruntled and i'm i'm just ad-libbing because it's been years since i read someone who's at a one is just like you know the person who walks into the doctor's office right pissed off and creates a stink or uh needs to get thrown out of a bar because they're grabbing women by the boobs and you know they're they're off right? right they're they're a stink in the room so he showed that you can evaluate the tone using this rating system of any number of people in any situation and that any one person coming into or out of the room changes the entire tone of the room because you could calculate it mathematically. If you have 10 fours in a room and 10 ones show up, well, just do the math. Now you've got a room that's hovering around two, you know, or something like that. And it's probably an area where we're going to have to really have some empathy and compassion for each other to bring us up to a three, and then we're going to all have to celebrate our growth together to get to a four and get clear on what we need to manage so that we can stay at that level that's why i tell people look don't worry about changing the world just take responsibility for living and loving fully and you're sharing that everywhere you go and you've automatically changed the tone of the world because you're part of it mm-hmm. and if if we just really get clear on what our values are what our morals are, and what ethical code we're willing to live, not only protect, to protect our own life, but to support life itself. And we start seeing nature as as important of an of investment as uh, drug stocks to make money. And we start seeing our children as the most important investment. And we start uh, putting pressure on scientists to be ethical scientists have become the modern prostitutes you can get anything validated science by science if you have enough money so people believe in science like it's the word of god and now we've got an endless history of drugs that were scientifically validated that killed tons of people had to be taken off the market of technologies that turned out to be destructive like we were about to have this 4g system world up put up worldwide well, the electromagnetic pollution and stress that's going to create could what could be extremely devastating to human health and the health of I mean, imagine let, let me tell you what I'm talking about. We were just on vacation uh, in September in Alaska, and I'll tell you I had a very interesting experience. I'm way out in Seward, Alaska, like we're way up by the glaciers, man. I mean, it was a long ways away. We take a helicopter ride. To the top of a mountain. And I look at my cell phone and it's got four bars. And we could call each other and talk to anybody from the top of a mountain, miles out in the middle of nowhere, so to speak. And there's so much, I mean, in this, there's so much electromagnetic uh the, the web of connection that's being built is going everywhere, right? So When you look at the research on electromagnetic pollution alone and what it can do to nature, and there's plenty of good evidence, for example, that the bees are being very stressed by all the electromagnetic pollution because we have massive problems with bee die off. But just if we look at what it does to a human brain to be close to a phone all the time, and we look at what the vibration rate is of those frequencies, it's literally like we're microwaving the entire planet. But that is supposed to improve connectivity. That's a very, very trillion-dollar business, but is it ethical or moral, and are there ways we could use our technology to do that more safely? Of course there is. We just have to spend the money to do it, but people that want to make a lot of money want to spend the less money they can to make the most money they can because that's a standard business proposition, but this time, as in many other instances, be it the military or others, we could wipe out nature, right? Right. Look at all the chemicals in the environment now we've got fish changing sexes. We've got frogs changing sexes. we've got um so much chemicals in the ocean that we're basically putting many, many species on birth control in rivers and lakes I mean there's piles of research showing all this, but we just ignore it and keep doing it for money. So where are we right so Sean. This has been a very good dialogue. And though my intention was to interview you, it turned out to be a mutual interview, which I think is exciting. So clearly these is- are important issues to you, I take yeah, it.
0: Absolutely. And they're
1: important to me. So I think this is a great chance to ask our listeners what's important to them. Do you feel these issues are important? What are your solutions? If you were given the chance to be the leader of the people. What would you want to see happen as changes? And as I tell people regularly, you're voting constantly with every purchase that you make. And the only way that we can change things is to starve out the corporations that are the government. I tell people we don't have a government, we have a corporate headquarters. So I think this is a call for all of us to get past our individuality and work together collectively and I think that your own journey, from my observation, is one in progressively realizing that it really boils down to behavior change. Is that what I'm hearing?
0: Absolutely. Changing your habits. Changing you know, We get habits. so stuck in our habits, and our habits become our results in life. So if we can go back to our habits and change those, which requires changes in belief in the way that we see ourselves and the choices that we make, you know, life completely changes when we do that.
1: So what can we expect from you in the future?
0: Oh uh, Really more of the same, just uh, helping people, uh, doing my podcast. I do a podcast called The Quote of the Day Show. Mm-hmm. It's a five-day-a-week show. People listen to it every morning, take a small clip. From a motivational talk, Tony Robbins, Bob Proctor, Lisa Nichols, on and on. So just gives people that motivation every day when they wake up in the morning. I have a course called Money Mind Academy where I teach people how to change their relationship with money so they can go to my website and pick up my ebook, The Money Mind Reset, five steps to changing their relationship with money just to get started.
1: And you've demonstrated authentically that you know how to do that. So.
0: Absolutely. I used to have the worst poverty mindset ever and I managed to uh, completely turn that upside down.
1: And so that's the authenticity we're looking for. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that many of the people that you have, like Bob Proctor, are legitimately the kind of people we need to hear more from. I mean, Bob mm-hmm. Proctor's a very wise man. I've studied a lot of his work. So yes. you are actually exposing the leaders. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm learning from the best. You know, every single day when I do that podcast, I'm learning from the best. I sit around the house uh, every Monday and Tuesday, and I listen to motivational talks and inspirational talks and educational talks all day long, and I just get to. Just get to, again, I get to learn from the best and share it with the world. It's pretty cool.
1: So let's close with your inspirational comment of the day as it regards to being the change. Put me on the spot
0: here. Um, I think just knowing that you have, I know it sounds cliche, but knowing that you have greatness in you is so important to know that anyone who's ever walked the earth you know, they were born with nothing different than what you came with. Yeah. And you can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. You can have whatever you want to have. And it really comes down to choice. It does. You know, it really comes down to being conscious and looking at your own behavior and seeing what are the fruits of that behavior? Right. What are you bringing into fruition? And if those results aren't the results that you want, you know, winding things back and looking at the true source of them. And of course, the number one step there, or the first step there, is to take responsibility for your life, yes. to become an adult. Yeah. And when you do that, everything changes. Amen. Love you, buddy. Likewise, oh man.
1: So, uh, one more
0: time, where do they find you? They can find me at seancroxton.com. That's easy. Yep, very easy. Instagram.com slash Sean Croxton, Facebook.com slash Sean Croxton. Uh, that's it.
1: We shall meet again.
0: Absolutely. We will very soon. We have to Good share times.
1: more dialogue i like the dialogue model because it's not about trying to be right it's just sharing Uh so thanks for sharing with me and with everybody hey thank you thank you for listening to living 4d with paul check and today's guest sean croxton follow sean on instagram at sean croxton to find out more about sean's money mind academy course or to request a copy of his ebook, The Money Mind Reset, which helps readers change their relationship with money, please visit SeanCroxton.com. That's S E A N C R O X T O N.com.